Driving the Narrative, Women in Architecture, a podcast by SB Architects. I'm your host, Jeanette Hoffman. Throughout this series, I'll be delving deeper into what it means to be a woman in architecture. Today's guest is Rochelle Hill, Project Manager at HKP Architects. As an avid learner, passive house enthusiast, and hydroplane racer, Rochelle brings not only 35 years of industry experience to the table, but the utmost flair. At HKP Architects, she specializes in off-site construction, modular, prefabricated panels, passive house, and high-performance buildings. She's currently broken ground on the new Mount Vernon Library Commons, which is a passive house library and parking structure for the city of Mount Vernon. Thank you so much for being here. Um, We're excited to chat with you. I know we got to talk a little bit um, previously for our little meet and greet, Um, but Here on the podcast, we just want to get to know you a little bit, and I think our first question is um, just how did you get started in your career? Um, What drew you to the industry? What's keeping you in the industry? And all of that good stuff. Sure. Happy to be here. Um, So my career started probably um, not too much different than uh, many other designers in that uh, um, in high school, I um, I discovered drafting and architecture in um, in a class, and uh, thanks to my brother who kind of uh, led the way as far as um, you know, um, showing me that that drafting um, was a, a cool thing at school. Um, so this is what I excelled at in in high school, um, and the class that I really looked forward to. And so, um, following high school. Um, uh, I didn't have the opportunity to go to college, so um, I took a position at a local uh, metal building manufacturer, and um, because I had such good hand lettering skills, I um, my first career position in, in design was to um, create uh, bill of materials or, or um, shipping lists uh, doing hand drafting. And um, from there, I, um, I spent seven years working for a, um, a metal building manufacturer, and um learned uh, the value of design for manufacturing and um, components and how to really um, take drawings and, and buildings and break them into, into parts and pieces. Um, so this is kind of where um, my career has been focused uh, um, between architecture and um, design for manufacturing in, in various different ways. Yeah, I, what's interesting to me is you learned really in the field. And I feel like that's not as common in our industry. So it's really interesting that um, you sort of found yourself in this <laughs> in this path in a way that um, it was really, to me, seems like by discovery. Would you agree with that? I, I would. I would agree with that. And that um, uh, you know, maybe maybe component design or design for manufacturing wasn't exactly the um, the picture that I had coming out of high school of, of you know of becoming an architect. But yeah. it was a, a a need that needed to be filled, and I had some skills that uh, allowed me to um, excel in that. So um, that's kind of where I I um, I focused. Exactly. Um, you, we talked a lot about sort of this grit and perseverance, um, in your career and sort of continually pushing and believing in yourself and confidence. What do you think it, what do you think you have to tap into, into yourself to sort of keep pushing these boundaries for yourself personally and in your career to just keep finding your way, doing what you're doing, like we were just talking about, but finding your way in such a authentic way. Um, you know, some patience a little bit with, with mm. not only with myself, but with um, 
um, my career and and um, having a passion, having mm -hmm. a passion for for um, for design for manufacturing, having a passion for for architecture has really um, what's kept me going. Um, and that um, I'm lucky enough to do what I love. And that's uh, um, a valuable thing that, that um, yeah, I really um, keeps me focused on, on and humble. And that yeah. there's a lot of people that, that have positions or jobs that um, maybe they, they just make money and that's not exactly what they, what they love to do. Um, so um, I consider myself very fortunate and this is kind of what, what, keeps me going is that you know i'm i'm lucky enough to have a job in this this industry in whatever form and being humble enough to, again to say um you know maybe i didn't make it to the uh, a full-on architecture position uh, or become a, a registered architect but um i'm still designing i'm still drawing and um there's a lot of other careers that uh, i could have chosen but uh, this is what i've um i excelled at and i'm i'm grateful for it yeah and there's what What's beautiful about that is there's so many other ways to practice architecture and design and engineering than doing it by the book, you know, and exactly. you found that you found that niche and have done it so well. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of people get our younger, younger groups of people get discouraged by our career because it can be really overwhelming. Sometimes we have four plus two years of school, five years of school. Um, sometimes people don't have enough money to go right into college. You know, these are real life factors that happen. And sometimes that's just not the right path, you know, but look at you, you're here, you're sitting at incredible firms, just as much as anyone that has the six year masters, you know, and, and doing right. it well, which is, I think a very, very important message that we haven't had a chance to talk about on here. Um, what do you, we talked a lot about sort of hobbies you, and I, I love that you talk about being passionate about your job because it seems like um, you have a really good understanding of what balance between life and work and play and work is. Um, tell us a little bit about your hobbies because they're very interesting. And then tell me about how you just sort of balance between the two and keep that sort of passion for work alive because of it. Yeah, so um, many different ho hobbies and quite a diverse amount of, of um, hobbies. And yeah. uh, so um, uh I've always raced. Um, I started off uh, racing motorcycles, and uh, I raced motorcycles for um, 15 years, um, and not dirt bikes. We're talking um, street bikes that race around a, um, a track. Um, By the and... way, everyone, she is serious, so Google her. <laughs> Real racing. <laughs> over uh, here anyway. <laughs> um, so I retired from, from motorcycle racing and, uh, um, thought I'd slow down a little bit and, uh, um, went to the lake one time. Literally and, slow down. <laughs> and, um, there was a hydroplane race. And, uh, when I was a kid, my, my father had a hydroplane and for a short period of time, and it was something that, um, again, I just, uh, I fell in love with. And, uh, um, it was, I don't know, gosh, nine months later, we went out and, and bought a hydroplane and I started racing hydroplanes. So, um, in 2015, I was a, a champion, um, regional champion of, of a hydroplane race, uh, racer. So I race hydroplanes and, uh, I've been fairly successful at that. I'm going to call myself. Me. Do you mind explaining to everyone on here? Because not everyone is as well. Sure. What, what hydroplaning is. So hydroplaning is, uh, um, uh, 
uh, it's a boat that is also a plane, if you will, and that it's a very that's a speedboat that's built just for racing. And uh, um, rather than plowing through the water, a hydroplane kind of floats above the water. Um, and so really the prop and the rudder are the only thing in the in the water. So it kind of flies, um, hence the the term hydro and plane. Um, and yes, they do sometimes fly, and that's not a good thing. Um, oh, okay, good to know. But yeah. Um, so, you know, along with racing hydroplanes and, and it's a, it's a great way for me to, um, uh, really focus on something that, that, um, kind of takes my mind off of, off of work, whether that be, um, you know, working on the boat in the shop or whether it's actually racing, um, it's a distraction from, um, from work and, uh, kind of how I, I've balanced, um, you know, completely on the flip side, I also, um, I love to mountain bike and I love to play guitar. Um, and so, um, this is the diversity in, in kind of what I do. Sometimes I like to go fast. Sometimes I need to just be mellow and, and slow down. And, um, the balance for me between work and, and plays has, has taken some time. Um, it's something that, uh, um, you know, in the beginning of my career, I was really after, you know, trying to climb ladders or trying to um, to make a lot of money. Um, and so I would, uh, you know, maybe even take take side jobs and, and work in the evenings and, and really pushed myself an awful lot in, in working. And it's as I've slowed down a little bit and, and gotten older that I've discovered that, you know, life is short. And um, I want to make sure that I that I enjoy um, enjoy life on on both aspects. Um, having a, a kiddo in in high school and um, getting to enjoy those those moments is is very important. And um, I think that balance is really important in in work. And that um, you know too much of one thing and you get kind of burned out. Um, so uh, this is this is kind of my. Um, my way of of uh, balancing life work is to um, yeah a little of both. It's fun to go fast and to and to, to completely be concentrated on on going fast and not have work in the back of your mind because um, you can't do that when you're racing. No. Um, do you feel like the I guess juxtaposition of this sort of very calm, methodical way of work is really balanced with your sort of high adrenaline, <laughs> high rush sort of hobby. I think that's, what's really fascinating about it. It's like, it's two completely different sides of the world, but somehow you've made them kind of come together and work perfectly for you. It's like, yeah, you're not going to get the adrenaline rush working on <laughs> the manufacturing details or anything else, but you can get it hydroplaning. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the, the planning piece is something that, that I can, I can take from one and, and apply to the other mm -hmm. in, in both ways. And that, um, you know, you're as a designer and, and especially for, de you know, design for manufacturing, you think about how the parts and pieces are coming together and, and the planning that goes into um, uh, how a building comes together. And it's much the same in racing and that there's an awful lot of prep work. There's the motor that, you know, has to be um, put together and, and um, all the parts and pieces have to come together in order to, to perform at a, you know, and, and to, have a race craft and yeah. um without those that planning it's it's not going to come together quite right um could be dangerous and i think that that's true of construction yeah absolutely i mean that's where this you're using your skill set exactly how you use it in in the offices the details matter how every all the parts come together as a whole matters you can't just show up and expect it all to just go well 
It doesn't go well that way. <laughs> no, I would expect not. <laughs> but I, what else I find really beautiful about you is that um, I think a lot of people, and I, I'm going to work on this when I become a mom, I'm sure. I'm going fig- figure, to be figuring it out the same way you were. But is that you have these hobbies outside of work, but you also have, and I think a lot of people will either be work or family. And and that's beautiful. We should be with family, but then they sort of lose themselves a little bit, right? If it's only about the kids' hobbies, it's only about what you're doing with the child only, only, only. My mom was like that a lot, you know, and we, mm-hmm. most, a lot of moms are, right? A lot mm-hmm. of dads are. We get so enthralled in our, in our children, which is beautiful, that we sort of lose ourselves and lose our own hobbies. But it, what's really nice about what you do is it seems like you've kept those hobbies for yourself too. The part of you that's really important to nurture is still being nurtured, which I think is such an important thing to think about and and take from this conversation. So I'm listening very intently because I it was something that I didn't think about until I talked to you. I was like, oh, she's still being true to herself as far as an indi- on an individual basis, you know? Right. Um. So. What do you think on a daily basis feels like defines success for you um, in the office or, or personal or for your family? What does that feel like? Um, for me, success is when I can I can put all the pieces together and they come together in a um, in a reasonable fashion. And that's mm-hmm. that not always happens, but um, that's how I kind of define success, whether that be in, in my racing, um, you know, when everything comes together and the boat runs perfect and, um, uh, you know, you have, have a good finish, that's success. Um, and I think that that's the, very much so the same for me in, in my career and that, um, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, design for manufacturing or, or doing architecture, um, when everything, the design all comes together um, and you have a complete building or um, a complete project um, and, and you know, you, you get to site and it's all coming together to, to the complete project when, you know, people are, are living in a house or they're, you know, the building is complete. That's success to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's kind of, you know, there's there's many successes along the way. Maybe you get, you know. Um, to a point where you, you know, you've achieved a permit or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, the, ultimately, for me, I want to see the, I want to see the, the finished product, and that's, um, that's where I measure my success. Yeah, when it's seeing it come to life, I would agree. Um, Absolutely. Do you think that if you worked more so at the front end on conceptual design and early phases mostly, do you feel like? you would be able to achieve that same sort of success feeling or do you have to see those parts and pieces sort of come together as a whole in the end? Um, you, you, I think I would be fine with, you know, and that's kind of, uh, of my position now is that uh, um, uh, I'm not always drawing all the parts and pieces, um, but I understand that I have a, an important influence on those parts and pieces and, and the building and how it's, how it's being shaped, how it's, um, you know, so you, you still um, understand that, that, it takes many pieces to to bring something all together, and that um, especially on larger projects, um, maybe it's beyond what I could I could do, um, uh, and I need a team. And so, being part of that team is is um, focusing on um, on smaller parts um, and realizing that the importance of of those parts makes a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, and it's been a very important theme: is that having different 
difference of opinions, different types of people, different um, inclusive and diverse environments at the same time that come to the table, whether it's for disabilities, whether it's for any type of um, just understanding that the people coming to the table um, reflect on what the building is. Um, do you feel like you have a, a foundation in a place where you can bring most people to the table, you feel comfortable at the table? How do we make more people feel comfortable at the table that are coming in, you know? I think that, um, uh, again, some having some humbleness um, mm. and just respecting the, the um, it, there's people from all walks of life, um, including myself, who is, you know, I'm transgender. And um, uh, I make myself feel comfortable, even if others aren't. Um, mm. And I think that, um, yeah, that it's just uh, um, having some respect. Um, and I feel that the um, in my career, I've done well um, being a trans woman in that um, if people maybe don't respect me at the beginning, they will at the end because... <laughs> I'm cool. You know, I can, I can cover so many um, different, different aspects. If, if they're not willing to talk about, about one subject, then, you know, I'm going to talk to them about something else that, that makes them a little more comfortable. You're like, what can I pull out? I can pull out racing. I can pull out children. I right. can pull out this. I can pull out this. Right. Yeah. And, and so sometimes it's just breaking down barriers, Yeah. Um, breaking down barriers in, in all sorts of different ways. And uh, um, that's something else that I, that I love to do is to, um, yeah, just uh, persevere through uh, through through this, and um, just show people that that I'm human. And I think that that's something that that we should all practice with with all people. Um, uh, we all come from different places, and and um, I think that there needs to be a lot of of respect for each other. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's why sort of the separation of social issues at in a personal in our in our personal world not translating into work is is doesn't work anymore you know we we i think covid and a lot and black lives matter and all these different movements that have been sort of ebbing and flowing throughout our industry now um in the way we think in the way we build in the way we talk to people in the way we respect people um it's almost disrespectful when we don't acknowledge them in the workplace not almost it is and right. so i love I mean, it was just a couple of years ago that these conversations started happening at work. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that the days of being like, well, that should be outside the office. That's here. We come to work are, are gone and it will be gone um, because of people like you, because of people like us having these podcasts. Um, and like you said, it's just at the core of everything about respect, you know, right. isn't, I mean, you teach your children about being respectful and, what I find so interesting about that, and you can, I mean, let me know if you feel the same way, is I feel like this new generation coming in, it's to them, it's like unfathomable that you wouldn't just be accepting of everyone. Like they can't even, it, they can't even compute the concept, right? Like, and I think that that's the best part of this future <laughs> is that we have this generation coming. You said you have a 17 year old? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventeen-year-old kiddo who's non-binary and um, Thank, yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> it's it's that type of of exactly what you said of 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 you know the newer generation is really where I have hope and and mm-hmm. and diversity in that um, for them to think that I wouldn't be comfortable in a meeting because I'm transgender is 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 exactly what you said. It's unfathomable to them because you know um, you're just a human. You're and, just a human. You're a human and, being. And this is the stuff that. Uh, um, really warms my heart because it's it's a change and it's a much needed change. And um, so, yeah, there's things that I've been able to do and design to influence in just a little little ways. Um, gender neutral bathrooms is, an, is a great example. And, um, you know, really pushing for um, inclusiveness in, in a building design. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me that gender neutral bathrooms are still a discussion because Family restrooms or restrooms that we share, single hold restrooms are gender neutral bathrooms. They just have a different sign on them. We've right. been doing we everyone, we've been doing this. Like <laughs> this isn't new. Right. <laughs> so it's very interesting to me. Um, with that new generation, what do you what advice would you give to someone that's thinking about coming out into or coming into our field, thinking about starting engineering, architecture? doing it in a way you did it, going to school, not going to school, figuring it out in the field, what would you tell them? First, I'd say um, master your people skills. Learn to communicate, yeah, like communicate, that. and that's a, a, a vital skill in um, any career that you choose. I like that. Um, secondly, I would say um, get out in the field. Get out and see how manufacturing, you know, if, if um, the way that that um, our industry is changing and that there's an awful lot of, of uh, stuff that's coming back to, you know, factory built, you know, modular, yeah. offsite construction. Prefab. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, the more you can you can um, understand from from the, the person who's putting the parts together, whether that be in the factory, whether that be on site, understand the nuances and how they influence your design is a um is something that I would advise um younger designers to do um because this is stuff that you're not going to learn in in textbooks or in a college classroom um and, you know and in order to do that you have to have the people skills to be able to approach somebody and and have a conversation and and be humble enough to say you know I want to learn I want to learn about how this goes together so that I can be a better designer um I think that those are things that w- would really get um, younger folks or, or people that are new into this industry um, uh, um, give them a great advantage in that um, again having some some thought about how things come together that's such a I mean it's such good advice because I mean going out into the field again what we learn in school and not that I wouldn't take back going to college I, I, there's plenty of things I use that are useful in my career every day but um you don't <laughs> What architecture is taught to you in school or what engineering is taught to you in, as in school is very different than what it is in, in the field and in the real world. Um, and I was just talking to Shosh, one of our principals at SB about um, her son is in engineering school right now and for mechanical engineering. And she was saying like, yeah, he loves it. But, you know, he learned really quickly that the professional world, because he's interning, is so different than what he what you're learning about in school, what you think it's going to be in school. If I was what I thought I was going to be in school. I'd be a star architect. I'd be <laughs> in <laughs> magazines every day. <laughs> right. And my buildings would be on the front page and on every story you could think of. And that's just not reality. We still are doing beautiful work, but it's not reality. 
But what's important about that is you basically went out and started with what we call internships. You basically went out and just started saying, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And so, you know, you'll never know what you love or like or excel at. You don't try it. Right. So I tried out residential architecture in school. I tried out interiors. I tried, I mean, manufacturing, there's all these layers. There's so many layers um, to what we do. And like you said, um, people skills, being humble. Like these are words that I'm like writing down that you're like humility, listening to people, you know, knowing what you, um, you know, my colleague and I, we talk about this a lot, especially with junior people coming in, um, knowing what you don't know, being aware that it's, it's okay to ask away. People appreciate the person asking questions versus, um, making assumptions any day and pretending like they know what they're doing or thinking they know what they're doing. Just be humble. Um, that's a very, very good point. I think um, some of the, the the best designers that I've ever met have have generally tried to to build something on their own um, and really have a, a, a great understanding of, of the challenges of, of that. Um, yeah. You know, they, they may be great architects, but actually trying to, to put things together, uh, build their own house or to, um, you know, create their own structure is um, uh, something that, that they want to master along with architecture. So um, I think it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Throughout your career, do you have a story or an example of something that was really challenging that you felt like you could overcome? What did you do in that situation? Um, feel free to share any kind of stories about this. You can have more than one story about this, but we just love to hear about, you know, something that was challenging or something that went well too. Right. Um, so uh, one of my first uh, manufacturing positions, um, uh, modular design, mm-hmm. uh, was a startup factory. And um, I had to learn, I had to learn modular. I had never um, done modular before, but um, I was tagged to be a, a modular designer. And um, along with with uh, design came um, CNC files um, and setting up the factory for, for production. And uh, um, so I had a new software that I was trying to, to use and a new process trying to understand how to output um, machine files um, with brand new equipment. And um, yeah, so one of the the you know brand new machines and and I was trying to to send the file to the machine and the machine wouldn't work. Um, and we had challenges with with you know is it my file that's, that's not right? Is it something that I'm doing that's not correct, or is it the machine that's not reading the file correctly? Um, and this is kind of going on in the background, and that that I'm blind to the to what the machine is is reading or or the the process of of what they call a post processor. Um, and I got really frustrated with it, and that um, you know every time I tried to do something, the machine would do something different. And um, so I was trying to work with the the machine manufacturer and with the the software manufacturer to to try to come together and and kind of what happened was that so you um, can't see so like somewhere in a building somewhere this machine is taking your data and you can't get to that machine to see how it's interpreting the data is what you're saying yeah the machine was you know um a half you know half the the, the room away which wasn't gotcha. too far away but um i had no visibility of of you know wow. the x's yeah. and y's and z's that it that it was reading or or how my um output out of cad right this was frustrating for me because as a designer you know i've always been drawing something on on paper in a pdf version where you know you hand it to somebody and they build it 
Yeah. Um, but this was completely different because um, what I was outputting came to a machine that, that didn't talk. That didn't um, like it and you didn't it, know why. <laughs> right. And um, uh, what got me really frustrated and, and um, what was a challenge was uh, uh, there was there was people waiting to get into production and to have positions and to make money um, based on on whether we could get these machines running or not. Mm. Um, and so uh, it really took some perseverance to uh, to keep working at it, to keep pushing to to resolve this, to, and kind of the drive behind it was was knowing that that there was humans waiting to 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 make money off of this. There were people that needed to make a, a living, um, and really, you know, pushing the the both the software and the manufacturer of the machine to say, "Come together, please." come together and solve this and help me get these people going and help me get this factory going so that we can make some money and, and get into production. And there was many, many long nights uh, working with Germany, you know, in the middle of the night um, and, and just trial and error to, to try to get this um, going. Um, but it was very, very hard for, for me because people are looking at me as the designer to say, you know, uh, what are you doing to, you know, why can't you get this right? I need to get to work. Um, and me being frustrated because what I was outputting wasn't, wasn't working. So how long did it take you to get, I'm assuming you got it working. We did. Um, <laughs> how it, long it, did it take to get there? It was a, a month of, of back and forth and, um, uh, really trying to break down some barriers again with, uh, um, you know, a machine manufacturer saying it's not my problem, it's the software, and the software manufacturer saying not my problem, it's the it's the designer. It's yeah, it's something that's that's going on with the machine, and um, yeah, kind of kind of pushing our way through to say, um, I don't care whose problem it is, let's get it solved. Let's just get it solved. So I'm intrigued. What was the problem? <laughs> Did you ever little... actually figure it out? A little bit of everything. It was a little bit of a language barrier and that um, uh, maybe there wasn't some communication between the, the, you know, at a very high level between the, the, the software manufacturer and the, the machine manufacturer to say, you know, I'm reading apples and you're outputting oranges and we need to get to, you know, to apples and apples here. Um, and this is how we can do this. Um, I'll make some adjustments on my side. You make some adjustments on your side and um, we'll learn from it. Yeah. Um. I think that a month, I, I think about that. And I'm just like trying to put it into perspective to other stuff we work on. And if it, you know, and the frustration we feel of get, trying to get something complete, trying to, it's even sometimes with, you know, cl clients expectations. If you're like, okay, DD's done. We, we finished DD and then you send out the set and they're like, nah, it's not. And you're like, no. And it ends up taking a month to get them to decide. Right. And you, just, and you have to keep going. What are you going to do? Throw down your, throw down your pencil and say, that's it. I'm now like, we got to keep going, got to keep going. Um, and with a machine, oh, I uh, worked on a CNC machine in school for a little while. And I remember being a little bit frustrated, but I actually got to look at the machine and see why the X, Y, and Z coordinates weren't listening. I couldn't right. imagine not being able, having a language barrier and not being able to see the machine and not being able to get into it. I would have been a little bit frustrated. <laughs> and, a, and a pool of people standing around looking at it going, you know, um, When's this going to be fixed? Oh God. When is it going to be done? Right, right. Um, so that was very frustrating, but um, we got through it, and um, it was great to get people back to to working and and uh, see the machine running. 
What about something that's gone really well in your career that you, it's just a story that you kind of lean back on or look to whenever you're feeling like you want to reminisce? Uh, again, back to modular. And um, this is a, a story about collaboration and, and um, really coming together and that uh, um, we worked for a local tribe who needed a, a building um, to house uh, high-risk um, students, people that had um, parents that were misbehaving and that needed mm. a place to, to live. And um, Where was this? This was in Bellingham, Washington for um, the Lummi tribe. Okay, cool. And um, they, again, they just needed a building and they didn't want to go through, um, didn't have the money really to, to go through a huge design process of, you know, engineers and architects and back and forth. And um, this is where I started to to really understand some, um, the beauty of efficiency in design. Um, and so oftentimes in modular, an architect will design a building and bring it to modular. And um, I, as a modular designer, would look at it and say, that's great, but we need, we need to do this in order to make the design consumable by manufacturing. Um, so in this particular process, the um, the architect and the engineer um, came together with me in kind of a roundtable conversation, and they said, "You as the as a manufacturer have more information about about what you need as far as drawings and and how this thing should go together. You guide us." Um, and so we worked together in a in a collaborative manner to um, to cut down on the design and the duplication of design. Um, so rather than the architect designing it twice and the engineer designing it twice right we designed it correctly from the first first go around um to produce a a project that was um really meaningful and that um we made this building and we came in on on their budget um and again watching it all come together in the in the factory and um, you know, kind of explaining to the people that, that were putting it together the importance of it and what it meant um, and seeing it in, installed and, and um, seeing the end unit and the, the end product and and happy kids inside this building that, that maybe would have been displaced or, or um, in bad situations was one of the most impactful and, and um, joyous things that I've had the opportunity to do. Um, uh, because again, it was was all sorts of different things that that, that um, fed my passion. The the collaboration was was something that I continue to long for. It was um, you know where where people can put down their their barriers and say, let's just work together to make what we know we can do, and and do it as as efficient as possible as. Um, it's something I, I, it's, it's my passion and I champion to this day. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Um, I am looking up that project. I wrote it down. It sounds amazing. I need to check it out. Yeah. I have to ask because I'm on the design side. Do you ever, what can, <laughs> as designers that you're working with, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's been some times you've been a little bit frustrated with us. I know we can get a rep sometimes that we're a little bit stubborn <laughs> or that we, we aren't, um, can, can, can be in the, not the most collaborative at times, um, but also passionate about what we do. So we, we like to be stubborn in the sense of we really worked hard on this. We really care about it. There's a lot of thought process behind it. Um, what can we do better as designers when we're working with you, uh, another designer in another part of the world, uh, another part of the set 
um, to, to do better, to help you feel like that collaboration is, is better. Yeah, this is this is something that I'm learning working um, in an architecture firm that that doesn't manufacture um, is not design build is that there's sometimes there's legal um, reasons why um, the collaboration has to stop at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as an architect, we don't design or or draw every wall stud or or every structural component. Um, and that kind of bothered me in the beginning um, as to you know why we couldn't do that, and it's some liability that goes yeah. on there. Um, uh, but I think just really coming to the table again, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pound on this, this being humble, um, and just trying to understand, um, what you can do, um, to make everything come together better. Um, you know, and that's, that's right on through to MEP, um, you know, uh, plumbers and electricians and, and they have constraints and stuff that, that they're trying to work with and, Really, just trying to to um, to mold together to to make a, a product and to make it easier for the uh, for the install um, is gonna gonna make for a smoother project all the way around. Um, so again, my my suggestion is just um, try to immerse yourself, even though maybe you're not um, not responsible for the design of the structure or the the MEP portions. Try to understand what what. Um, what they what their constraints are, what yeah. they're trying to work with, and and be complacent as as much as you can to hold on to your design, to to you know stand up for your design, but also be a team player to to yeah. say you know if I've got to move a, a door or a window just a little bit in order to make it manufacturable, to make it more sustainable, then I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust just we a can little do that. bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, having that that um, pliability. I like that word. That's a good point. And, and like, like you're saying, just understanding everybody's trying to do their best job. So, you know, don't get in the way of someone else doing their best job. You don't want, you know, and so everybody allowing the space for each other to do their best work. The MEP wants to do their best job just as much as the designer, just as much as civil engineer, everyone wants to just put their best foot forward. Like you said, making sure that you can be a team player for that so that everyone can do that. You don't want to stifle it. Um, That's such, such a good point. Um, well, I just, thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that you want to share before we sort of, uh, end our, our chat for today? I'm just so thankful that you've been on here. Um, you have such a calming presence. I can't exactly (laughs) explain it very well. I won't say it as eloquently as you just do it, but, um, I could chat with you forever. You feel, I can imagine that it's wonderful to work with you because you just, you have a very calm demeanor. Um, you're very open and collaborative in the way you speak. So um, thank you for coming on here and sharing your knowledge and being so forthcoming with us and open about your life, about your hobbies, about your work. And um, I hope that we can do you proud when this episode comes out, but I'm really, really thankful for you coming on here. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be um, interviewed and um, I just hope that whatever I've I've, um, output is is helpful to, to someone. And uh, um, again, thank you. 